0: Good to see you guys. <clears throat> Can you believe we finished the book of Romans? That was, that was quite the whirlwind there, but we got, we got through it. And praise God for the, the gospel according to Paul. Um, and, and before we jump into our next sermon series in May, which will be um, the book of James, the, the gospel on the ground, we will begin to anticipate Easter, Resurrection Sunday, next week as we celebrate Palm Sunday. But today, I was asked to preach a one-off. So when I was thinking about what can be a timely one-off as we inch closer to summer, and many of us are getting outside our homes, meeting our neighbors, seeing our neighbors, um, I thought, what could be timelier than a fresh reminder of the mission of Christ? So if you would open your Bibles to the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Mark chapter two, we'll read the entire passage, Mark chapter two, beginning in verse 13. This is the word of God. He went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. <clears throat> thank you for your mission. Thank you that you came for sinners. God, I pray that we would be encouraged this morning, that we would hear your word, and that we would respond to your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Sorry, I lost my voice on Friday, so praise God for microphones. So my wife Holly and I are going to get into gardening this spring. I'm actually extremely excited, quite frankly, because I, I need some hobbies. We planted our first tree last spring, though it wasn't by choice, our good old HOA made us. But, but what began as a begrudging task quickly became a family fun activity. Our, 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 our oldest daughter, Eden, even named our tree Sunny. But as I was reading a book recently that was getting me excited excited for gardening, I heard of a horrible story about a tree in California named Prometheus. Prometheus, a great basin, bristlecone pine in the Sierra Nevada mountains of California. Well, a scientist whose name was Donald Curry was using a tool that actually allowed him to figure out how old a tree is without destroying the tree. The is the, the supposed to drill into the tree and remove a core, and you can count the rings that way. Well, there's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of controversy online. But ultimately, nobody knows exactly what happened. But in the end, Mr. Curry cut down the tree. He killed Prometheus. It gets sadder than that, though. Listen to how this author explains what happens next. When he counted the rings, he realized it was 4,862 years old. Then, with what must have been a heart-wrenching thud of regret, this scientist realized he had just killed not the oldest living organism on earth, but the oldest known living organism in the universe. Think about that for a moment. You really dropped the ball, Mr. Curry. Like, yeah, figure out how old this tree is. Awesome. But ultimately, you got one job, bro. Don't kill the tree. Stick to the mission. The mission to discover and yet preserve the great, and in this case, ancient, outdoors. Stick to the mission. As I was spending time in this passage, what became extremely clear to me is the mission of Christ? My busy life consists of many things, many, I believe, good things. But does the mission of my life line up with the mission of Christ? I read a great book recently called Start with Why by Simon Sinek. Ultimately, he just unpacks how important it is for any corporation or individual to know their why, their purpose, their mission. Once you lose your why, oh, how easy can it be to lose your way? So that's my question this morning. What is your why? What is the mission statement of your life? What's your why? I believe we're going to see this morning through a story in the life of Jesus, the clear and yet rather scandalous mission of Christ. My goal is to show you why Mark added this story into his gospel account, and I believe that he wants to persuade us that Jesus' mission is scandalous, because Jesus' mission is for sinners, and as we follow our Messiah, his mission becomes ours. So if you close your Bibles, open it back up, Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, let's unpack this story. Beginning in verse 13, he, Jesus, went out again beside the sea, the Sea of Galilee, and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. So the scene is set. It's early in Jesus's ministry, but he's already gained some popularity. He's been preaching that the kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe in the gospel. His teaching is unique though. People are astonished. He taught as one who had authority, not what they were used to in the synagogue. He's even forgiven sins, something only God could do. But this homeless Middle Eastern Jewish rabbi is not only teaching and forgiving, he's also physically healing. Up until this point in Mark, he's already cast out a demon, healed Peter's mother-in-law, cleansed a leper, healed a paralytic, and hosted a healing night in Capernaum where the whole town showed up. Man, if they had Twitter, Mary's son Jesus would have been trending. So as he's out beside the Sea of Galilee, there's a crowd listening to this new teaching. What he's teaching here, we don't know. That's not Mark's point to our passage. What we do know is his ministry is gaining momentum. Jesus is becoming rather popular. More and more people are being drawn to him. If this crowd knew one thing, they knew that this rabbi Jesus, who was beginning to call disciples to himself, could do what their doctors were unable to do and spoke with an authority they were not used to. The last time Mark tells us Jesus was beside the sea, he was calling Peter, Andrew, James, and John to be his disciples, to follow him. And in the middle of their occupation as fishermen, they count the cost, retire early with no pension, and follow Jesus. It seems like he has a way for making his way into our lives without any warning. Look at verse 14. He's at it again. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he, Levi, rose and followed him. Jesus has passed by the sea and has now walked into town. He's back in Capernaum. At the tax booth, who does he see? Levi, also known as Matthew. Jesus' disciple draft leaves you scratching your head. This is not your typical all-star lineup. These guys look more like the bad news bears. Jesus now adds to his team, the one who who, who would have been collecting taxes from merchants and fishermen like Peter and the others in the form of tolls on whatever goods or fish they brought in. When you think of tax collector, don't just think IRS. I mean, April 15th is coming, 12 days away, and I'm a procrastinator so I have a lot to do until that day comes and when I think about the IRS I don't just sit down with a smile on my face most of us have zero fondness for the IRS but like we learned in Romans we honor God by paying our taxes so we do at the same time there's no deep hatred for IRS workers like if I saw an IRS guy at Walmart although I don't think they wear IRS hoodies, so I'm not exactly sure how I know he's IRS, but I wouldn't be tempted to go beat him up. Not in Israel. These tax collectors like Levi are traitors. They're hated, despised, the worst of the worst, enemies, corrupt. These ethnic Jews like Levi would betray their own people, including their families, And do what the law forbids, transact business with Gentiles. Working for Herod Antipas in Levi's case, and they would make their profit by the margins between what Rome took and whatever these tax collectors wanted to make. And they were known for their greed. They would leave their families and ethnic religion for the religion of money, power, and possessions. The early collections of the the Jewish oral tradition lumps them into the same category with, with thieves and murderers. Once a tax collector, you were expelled, expelled from the Jewish place of worship, the synagogue, unable to judge or witness in court. If a tax collector even touched your house, it would be deemed as unclean or even worse than unclean. One commentator, James Edwards, says, it may be that contact with Levi was actually more offensive than contact with a leper since a leper's condition was not chosen whereas a tax collector's was. So when Jesus walks up to this tax booth, he's walking up to what his culture deems as the scum of the earth. There's even a chance Peter, Andrew, James, and John knew Levi, they might have been shaking their head like not this dude lord this guy's been ripping us off for years and what does jesus say to him follow me follow me in our passage we don't have much of an interaction we we know that levi rose and followed jesus And in the gospel of Luke, we have the same story with a little more detail. Luke says that Levi, after Jesus says, follow me. And Luke 5, 28 says, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Leaving everything. This is discipleship 101. Jesus doesn't say, pray a prayer and invite me into your heart. He doesn't give Levi a list of spiritual disciplines he can do. To then be a Christian. He just says, follow me. This is not a question. Jesus is not giving Levi a suggestion. This is a command. And Levi forsook all. He left everything. I imagine him dropping his pen right there in his notepad and following Christ, leaving his career in the rear view mirror. Levi had most likely heard about Jesus. Maybe he had even listened to a teaching or two. But when push came to shove, he was presented with two options. Keep his life or embark on a new one. And he chooses the latter. And though this isn't the point of our passage this morning, it's definitely a theme in the Gospel of Mark, and it's our call every day to leave everything, namely ourselves and follow Christ. In another in another place, Jesus says, take up your cross daily, and follow me. The, the apostle Paul says, I die every day. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. If you're in here this morning, and you're not a follower of Christ, maybe you want to be. Maybe you think, I just need to to clean myself up a little bit more, and then I'll come. Jesus approaches Levi, this wicked, unclean, impure tax collector, and says, follow me. And that's what he's saying to you this morning. Follow me. And for those of us who have been following Christ for years, don't forget, this is not a one-time decision you made back when. This is our daily command. Follow me. Total allegiance is what our master is after. Let us daily renew our allegiance to follow Christ. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is faith in action. Amen? Amen. Let's move to the next scene of our story. After conversion happens for Levi, he throws a banquet, a party in honor of Jesus. Yes, Jesus partied. Look at verse 15. And as he reclined at table in his house many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples for they for there were many who followed him. So Levi, who hosts this party at his crib, and could you imagine and could you imagine Jesus coming over to your house? like like, like I remember remember being a kid and my mom saying, get the house ready. Guests are coming. It was crazy. I couldn't imagine if she said, Jesus is coming in 30 minutes. Get the house in order. According to our text, though it's at Levi's house, the host is Jesus. It says they were reclining, or, or better translation, chilling with Jesus. And who's he parting with? Tax collectors and Sinners. This is a phrase that's used all throughout the Gospels. I already explained who the tax collectors were, but what about the sinners? These are not folks that every now and then transgress God's law. No, we need to think like the wicked from the book of Psalms. Those who have zero regard for God's law. Those who are eating bacon-wrapped hot dogs with their Gentile friends on the Sabbath during halftime of a soccer game only to leave from there to go to the casino, maybe end the night at the strip club. Jesus was hanging with the hooligans, the rebels, the wicked, the sinners. I mean, all throughout the gospel, he's being accused of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners, prostitutes, accusations of gluttony and being a drunkard himself because of his company at these parties. Let's just say Jesus probably ain't getting voted in to be the next Southern Baptist Convention president. But though these tax collectors and sinners have invited Jesus over for a celebration, the theologians stand outside the party in condemnation for Jesus' actions. Look at verse 16. And the scribes or scholars of the Pharisees When they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now before we just shake our head at these dumb Pharisees, we need to realize what's going on here. These guys are asking a legitimate question. Jesus, this new religious teacher like them, is doing things in this moment that is unlawful to do according to their shared Bibles. There is no New Testament yet, no New Covenant. All they have is the Old Testament Scriptures. And if the Pharisees are known for anything, they are known to be scrupulous about obeying the commandments. They are zealously devoted to keeping the law. Ritual or moral impurity is a big deal, and Jesus is rubbing shoulders... Sharing drinks, laughs, and a meal with those who are impure. Not okay, Rabbi Jesus. Again, the Pharisees, or any Jew, realizes that disobedience to God's law is what caused the exiles. God's people displaced from God's land. I mean, read Leviticus. It's all about purity, holiness. This is what it means to be God's people set apart blessings for obedience curses for disobedience what is jesus doing is not a question just for the pharisees it's a question for anyone who's taking their bible seriously when something clean in the old testament comes into contact with something unclean the unclean things wins doesn't matter if you're wearing a mask you become contaminated And then by God's grace, there are steps one must take to get back to that place of cleanness, purity. Impurity is extremely contagious. And because God is holy, they likewise must rid themselves of anything impure and be set apart to God. What Jesus is doing is not okay. Well, unless... He's not just anybody. Look at verse 17. Jesus' response in the end of our story this morning. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the climax to our passage this morning. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. When Jesus hears the the Pharisees question, he answers them. He, He begins with an ancient proverb that everyone would have known. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, everyone inside and outside that party can say amen to that. But then he says, I, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. In light of what the Pharisees see, are offended by, what, what Jesus is doing, he explains himself by explaining his mission. Now, now it hasn't happened in a while, but every chance I get um, when I go home to where I'm from in, in California, and I happen to have a free Saturday afternoon, I'll try to make it down to Huntington Beach. I'll try to go down and, and, and see Ray Comfort, a street evangelist, share the gospel on the Huntington Beach Pier. He, he, he gets crowds of upwards of 100. Um, and before explaining to these crowds the good news of Jesus, he wants to get people to see the bad news. The well have no need of a physician, only the sick. The bad news is we are sick that we are sinners, that everybody is. The Huntington Beach Pier on a Saturday can be a pretty diverse place. You've got white supremacists, transgender folk, liberals, conservatives, punk rock kids, hip-hop heads, the religious, the anti-religious, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, and everything in between, all in one place. The one thing they have in common, the one thing all humanity has in common Sin. We are sinners. Every single person sick and in need of a physician, according to our passage. Before Ray Comfort will tell them what Jesus, the physician, did, he tries to show them that they are sick, that they actually do need a physician. Some will recognize they are sick, but others will go on living like they're healthy when they're not. Like the man who has cancer who won't go see a doctor. I'm fine, he says. Jesus is telling these Pharisees and us that those who are well, who think they don't need a physician, are righteous. They are self-righteous. Those Jesus came for are those who know they are sinners, who know that they are sick. Ultimately, Jesus did not come for the righteous because there are none. Jackie Hill Perry says, Jesus did not come for perfect people, for if he did, he would only have been coming for himself. Jesus' mission is for sinners. I said earlier, what Jesus is doing, hanging out with sinners, is not okay. Unless he's not just anybody. I don't believe the Pharisees are actually wrong in their understanding of Torah. God commanded Aaron, the priest, in Leviticus 10.10, to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the clean and the unclean, and teach others to do the same. What they are wrong about is who Jesus is. I came. This is the Son of God Incarnate, They are talking to. I came. The second person of the triune God takes on another nature, humanity, and comes to the world he created for a scandalous mission. What the Pharisees miss is that this rabbi Jesus is the Isaiah 7 virgin son, Emmanuel, that God is with them. And that he has come for sinners. The contagious impurity that we talked about doesn't work on Jesus. He touches a leper, the leper is healed. And when he shows up at a party with sinners, he brings life. He is in the truest sense the life of the party. Craig Blomberg calls this contagious holiness. He says, Jesus discloses not one instance of fearing contamination, whether moral or ritual, by associating with the wicked or impure. Rather, he believes that his purity can rub off on them, contagious holiness. This is why he came. This was Jesus, the son of God's mission, and is still his mission to call sinners to follow him. And he's not just parting with sinners because the wine is good. Blomberg again says, Jesus regularly associates with the various sorts of sinners on whom the most pious in his culture frowned. But his association is never an end in itself. Implicitly or explicitly, he is calling people to change their ways and follow him as their master. What the Pharisees don't understand is their beloved scriptures point to Jesus. The Messiah that they themselves are waiting for is in Levi's house. And yes, eating with tax collectors and sinners. Will they join the party? That's the question. Our text doesn't answer that. It stops right here. But have you joined the party? Have you joined the party? Do you relate to God based on your performance? Maybe your, your church attendance or private devotional life? Or do you see yourself as one of Jesus' friends? Remember, he's the friend of sinners. Turn with me, real quick, one book over the Gospel of Luke, Luke 18. We'll read the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Luke 18, starting in verse 9. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, Thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breasts, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The mercy and grace of God is scandalous. It is humbling. If you are not absolutely humbled by the grace of God in your life, Not in the life of the Christian with the real jacked-up past, no yours. If that doesn't humble you, well, then you may just have more in common with the Pharisees than you think. He came not for the self-righteous, but for the sick. When you understand the gospel, you realize you are far worse than you ever imagined. Even for those of us who who grew up in the church, were homeschooled, never hung out with the bad kids or committed the, the big sins. Maybe you look down on people like Levi, real sinners. But this is who Jesus came for. I hope we can see ourselves in this group. Because when you understand the gospel, you also realize that you are more loved than you could have ever dreamed of. He came for sinners. From heaven, He came and sought you. Jesus' mission is scandalous because His mission is for sinners, for us. And it's worth noting that this story is told in each of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But as Matthew himself retells the story in the gospel of Matthew, he doesn't say Jesus saw a tax collector named Matthew or Jesus saw Matthew at the tax booth like we have in the two other accounts. He says Jesus saw a man named Matthew. Jesus saw an image bearer. Yes, broken, but nonetheless, an image bearer. The world had many names for Matthew. But what does Matthew remember about his encounter with Jesus that caused him to leave everything and follow him? Jesus saw a man. I don't know how you see yourself. I don't know how you think others see you. But Jesus sees you as a man or woman. Created in his image who he came for. Let that sink in as we inch closer to Easter. And so what's our application to this passage? What's our application? As we follow our Messiah, his mission becomes ours so going back to the the question i asked earlier what's your why what's your life's mission is it your career your family your health your education your looks your investments your bank account your home your vacations your toys i came to call sinners jesus says This was his mission and still is. And if we are followers of Christ, this must at least be a part of our mission, our why. We can be about some good things, but let's not miss the main thing. Let's not chop down the tree. The percentage of churchgoers who will actually make this their mission and even tell one unbeliever, About what Jesus did for sinners this year is embarrassingly small. Some don't even think it's our mission. Barna did a study a couple years ago that said almost half, 47% of millennial Christians think evangelism, telling others what Jesus did for sinners, is straight up wrong. And again, before we make more jokes about millennials, when was the last time you engaged an unbeliever with the gospel? Do you make it a priority in your life to be around them? This is the mission. Let me repeat the mission of our Savior. And yes, I know, I know someone's thinking, yeah, but evil company corrupts good habits. Amen. It does but remember what I said earlier about contagious holiness? We can become so insulated as Christians, so afraid of the secularism and in the contamination of our culture that we straight up retire from our job as Christ followers. Engage in our own comfortable little holy huddles all the while Jesus from his throne is saying, I came for sinners. After Jesus rose from the grave, he ascends to the right hand of the Father. On the day of of Pentecost, sent his spirit to indwell his people. A radical shift from Old Covenant to New. If you're a follower of Christ, Jesus lives in you. The spirit of God connects the people of God to the triune God. Father, Son, and Spirit with a mission. Sinners. His heart, his aim, his blood is for sinners. So let's get real practical. How does this actually play itself out in your life right now, this spring, this summer? I think ultimately this is person by person. Go spend some time with God and ask him, how how can you use me to be a part of your mission? But just to get us thinking, where has God placed you? right now who are your neighbors do you know them do they know you do they know you're a follower of Christ do you seek to spend time with them know their stories engage their struggles actually care for them and seek to show them a better way that that could be a good place to start especially as more and more people are getting outside for the first time in a while what about work? Are your coworkers just your coworkers? Are they a part of your mission field? Is the barista at Fika just a barista? Or is she an image bearer? And there's so many places we can get involved in. The, the rec center, book clubs, neighborhood playgrounds, mom's groups, the, the, the PTA, your, your HOA. I mean, Parker even has magic card tournaments if that's what you're into. Or what about your kids' sports this upcoming season? You're already going to be out there for so many hours. Don't only root for little Johnny to score a goal that nobody will remember in eternity. Sorry, little Johnny. Be on mission with those families for their eternity. One of my new mission fields in Parker is the, is the cigar lounge in town. <laughs> I'm starting to know some of the guys. And, and, and though our conversations have not gone past sports yet, I have a plan. Jesus' mission is for sinners. They pack that place out. What's your why? I, I hope our mission, friends, lines up with the mission of our Lord, the friend of sinners. The mission of Christ is not just for the professionals. This is our calling as his church. This is why we are being equipped for the work of ministry. We, we don't exist as Christians just to participate in some worship on Sunday morning. Hear a, hear a sermon. Say, I got fed this morning, pastor, and go home. We exist for mission. What's mission? your why could you imagine like what it would look like if we took the mission of Christ seriously every time I I text a mentor of mine about my sports teams whether it's my Dodgers or my Oklahoma Sooners or my horrible Lakers he he, he always says the same thing He, 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 he gets on me for saying we He's like, bro, you're not a part of the team. Stop saying we. And and he's right, though I'm, I'm not going to stop. But you know what we are a part of? Like we are literally united to Christ in Christ. Christ through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension and have been called to advance his kingdom by pursuing what Dr. Doug Logan calls the least, the last, the lamest and the lost. Jesus is not physically here anymore to accomplish this mission. We are. And through this union with him, we have his contagious holiness. Let's go infect some people with life later in the gospel of mark he gives more detail into his mission he says the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many the sinners he came for me and you and the rest in this town that don't know it yet were purchased by his own blood and one day there will be another party another feast that this one only pointed to. And there will be his redeemed people from every nation, tribe, and tongue praising Jesus that he saved sinners. Until then, let's turn our neighborhoods and the town of Parker upside down for the glory of God and the joy of all peoples. Amen? Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you came for sinners. God, we do pray as we are humbled by this scandalous mission for us. We pray that we would be in awe of you, be in awe of your gospel, but that this would also spark us to, to make this our mission, that we would get creative in seeking how we can, in our ways, be about your mission. Here in Parker, in the Denver area, you came to call sinners. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.